this is going to be, for most people, the biggest financial decision they've ever made. Now, for my experienced investors that have purchased multiple homes, it's pretty easy. We got it down to clockwork at this point. But yeah, if it's your first home, if it's your second home, it's going to be stressful. So just buckle up, prepare for that. But don't let it scare you. It can also be the single greatest financial decision you ever made. So just do your research as much as you can and lean on your experts, the pros. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias. I'm your host, Caspi Bias. Today, we are finishing our conversation about how to buy a house. We have covered the bases from getting started to looking at a house in person to what all happens when you decide to further inspect the house before purchasing it and negotiating. Now, we are getting into detail on the last steps of home ownership the final steps as far as purchasing a property. We're even going to throw in some additional tips for those who are interested in the real estate investing process to build generational wealth. As for my guest for today, we have Brenda Mitchum. Brenda Mitchum is a marine scientist turned real estate agent and investor located in Georgia. Tune in for more and be sure to listen to the previous two episodes if you haven't already to get the full scope of how to find and buy your own property. Let's wrap up our conversation. If you haven't already, check out the new Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias animated series. There, you can review a few of the captivating moments from each episode in animated form. Check out the show notes for a link to the series. Also, consider supporting the show by becoming a patron. In addition to helping the podcast out, you'll get exclusive access to sneak peeks to upcoming episodes bonus audio content, audio archives, a shout out by name on an upcoming episode, and more. Check out the show notes for more information. So we're getting near that ending or that final step as far as purchasing a house. Now, I personally haven't been at this step or I haven't been past due diligence. Would you be able to explain, Brendan, what specifically happens after due diligence, what the final steps are as far as purchasing a property? Yeah. So surprisingly for us, there's actually a lot of stuff that happened after due diligence, a lot of stress, and it's all centered around the loan, right? It's making sure the appraisal comes in on time. You're generally going to have an appraisal contingency, which means that within X days, you need the appraisal back so that if it comes in low, you can renegotiate the purchase price. If the appraisal comes back after that X days, you're out of luck. You either pay the difference or you drop the deal and lose your earnest money. You can ask the seller to meet you halfway, but most sellers are going to do that unless they really just want to close on the property. It happens. So you're going to have some more contingencies. You're going to have that contingency. You might have a financing contingency. That's just a general, hey, if I'm not able to get this loan, maybe you lose your job and you no longer get the loan. During that contingency, you're able to terminate and receive your earnest money back. It's really all going to be centered around the loan. So you're going to be talking to your lender a lot, making sure that they're moving along on time, making sure they're going to be able to close on time, making sure there's no surprises. There's going to be surprises. There's there's absolutely going to be surprises. We had plenty of them. And it, it just 
depends on the loan product too. If you're cash, then like really after due diligence, there's not much else. Just wait until closing, make sure the closing attorney gets title back, everything's clean. And then, you know, you, you wire the money and sign the closing docs. So really it's just with the loan that there's still quite a bit of work and surprises left. Yes. I've heard a little bit about the overall process afterward, how it's basically a lot of signing. How are you talking about appraisal as well? Making sure that the price that the house was actually listed for, that that's actually its correct value. And if it's not, if it's less than that, then there has to be a whole negotiation with that because the lender's not willing to offer you that amount of money that you may have said that you would give the seller if you decide to move forward on the house. There are overall mixed reviews on whether or not buying a house is actually a good investment. Because there are certain things such as taxes, maintenance, like a roof or something breaks over time. What are your thoughts on this argument? It depends. If you are buying a house just to live in it, I mean, unless you're like renting out a portion of it or you're doing a live-in flip, anything investment related. If you're just living in a house, it's not an investment. Don't think of it as an investment. Try to purchase a house that's in an area that's going to appreciate so that it's maybe less of a liability at the end of the day. But financially speaking, it's not an investment. If you are buying a house as an actual rental property, you got to do a lot of research. It's not an easy thing. You need to understand how to analyze a property to determine if you're going to cash flow or not. You could totally miss a really major thing like a roof. And then your cash flow goes from $200 a month to... Negative. Negative for the next three years because you had to replace a roof. Keep that in mind. You're cash flowing. Okay, cool. I'll make you $200 a month on this property. You have to replace the roof. That goes away for a very long time unless you have a buffer. Like Unless you've already accounted for having a roof. You've already set aside a certain percentage every month. And now you either already have that accumulated and you have $8,000 that you've been setting aside and you can put it into a new roof, or you know you're going to pay that roof off in the future by continuing to set aside money. So it really just depends on your strategy. I don't love single-family home investing because I don't think there's enough cash flow to make up for these huge CapEx events. I actually prefer, if I'm going to do single-family homes, I would do co-living spaces where you rent by the bedroom because cash flow is higher. That's actually what my investors all invest in. We purchase co-living properties here in Atlanta. Cash flow is much higher. So you're, you're really able to make up for that roof. You know, when your income is $4,000 a month, that $8,000 roof isn't such a big deal anymore. Another thing, I invest in mobile home parks where we try to essentially convert them to just renting out the dirt. So we're not fixing any roofs. If a roof starts leaking on a mobile home, The tenant owns that and it's their responsibility to get it fixed. Single family homes are great for certain people, certain strategies. It really just depends. But at the end of the day, like make sure you understand what all the expenses are so that you can account for that. Yes, I definitely agree with all of that. Definitely making sure that you are paying attention to your expenses moving forward and just keeping those factors in mind. So with that, Brendan, I'd like to go a little bit more into the steps of when it comes to investing. So house hacking, we had mentioned this previously before, it's becoming very popular these days as far as bringing in, for example, like a single family house, you read it by a single family property, 
bring in some tenants that could work as roommates, rent out some rooms in order to bring in some additional cash flow or some additional income. So that's a great way to further build wealth. Do you have any other tips or points as far as house hacking in general and how it can help with someone keeping their property? Definitely read the house hacking strategy by Craig Curlop. That's a good place to start. Read some posts on bigger pockets about it, watch some videos, do your research on it and really understand the strategy itself, but then understand that you are going to be a landlord. This is a rental property. You need to know how to screen tenants. So read a book on property management. That's going to be key. And try to nail down your criteria, right? So it's different for everybody, especially with house hacking. Keep in mind that you are essentially having someone pay for you to live somewhere. So you're no longer paying rent. So make sure you're including in your calculations the money you save by not paying rent. And maybe you just want to live for free. That means you know you don't have to pay rent, mortgage, nothing like that. And maybe you also have your utilities covered. So how we do it here, it's a single family home. Utilities are not split from an actual meter perspective. They are together. It's one meter, one bill. I get that bill. And then I bill them back for their share of the utility usage. But their rent is far enough above our mortgage that their rent actually covers our utilities too. So we are living, in a sense, completely rent-free. Now, if the roof needs to get replaced, if we have this repair or that repair, we're out of pocket on that. So we are still having expenses. We're not cash flowing. We won't be cash flowing until we move out and rent out this side. That's another thing you want to look at. So you want to look at while you're living in the property, what's your criteria? And then you also want to look at when you move out, What's your criteria? Do you need to cash flow when you move out? Most people, I would say, yes, you don't really want to be holding onto a property that is in the negative. But while you're living in it, it's totally up to you. Like you can cover mortgage, you can cover PITI, which is principal, interest, taxes, insurance. You can just cover your mortgage payment. You can cover your expenses too. It's, it's really whatever you want. Just make sure you understand how that works in your criteria. What are some other things that people didn't tell you personally when you were first buying a house and owning a house? One thing people didn't really tell me is that no matter how much research you do, you're never going to be 100% ready. You're never going to know everything. And you can actually really handicap yourself financially if you try to wait until you know everything. So research as much as you can, have a pretty good working knowledge on the subject, but lean on the experts don't think you know more than you do. Like that can be just as dangerous as not knowing anything as like thinking more than you do. So just make sure that you do enough research to be able to communicate with experts and run your analyses, but don't overestimate how much you know. Just be prepared to learn a lot more and honestly struggle and have lots of mistakes. And that's really the only way to eventually be successful. Not be easy. I definitely agree with that. You are going to make mistakes within this <laughs> within this process, but that's perfectly fine. This is a a learning opportunity, a learning experience, and a pretty big one. But you're able to learn a lot through looking for a house, trying to buy a house. It really is very helpful, not only toward buying properties in the future, but also just knowing exactly what you should look out for versus not look out for. 
So if you want to further build your your wealth or generational wealth, this is definitely a, a step that you should consider. Do your research and learn from there. But even though I know select pieces here and there after due diligence, bringing in lawyers to help you sign the papers and everything, one thing I do know is that there's more stress involved with that process. The whole process of buying a house in general is, is stressful. And in my personal opinion, it's like I remember the first property and other properties as well that I've looked into. If I were to go under contract with them and start that due diligence process, I remember like people would be like, oh, congratulations, you started the process. This is awesome. And in the back burner in my head, I'm um, just like, Ugh. I'm hyperventilating right now. I'm nervous because I might actually have to spend this amount of money like, in the future and stuff may go wrong. And oh my gosh. And what if I invest in a bad house? Like this is a lot of money. Da, da, da. So it was a lot of tense moments throughout the overall process is something that I would say. So I would definitely agree with that. Can be very stressful, not only after due diligence, but during due diligence too. Yeah. And it should be stressful. This is going to be for most people, the biggest financial decision they've ever made. Now, for my experienced investors that have purchased multiple homes, it's pretty easy. We got it down to clockwork at this point. But yeah, if it's your first home, if it's your second home, it's going to be stressful. So just buckle up, prepare for that. But don't let it scare you. It can also be the single greatest financial decision you ever made. So just... Do your research as much as you can and lean on your experts, the pros. Right, exactly. Yes, they're there to help you. So even though you're going to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Am I making the right decision? What do, what's happening? <laughs> they're definitely there to help you along every step of the way. Yeah, and keep that in mind. They are not as invested as you, which is a good and bad thing. Use that to your advantage. Understand that they're not as invested in you, so they're not going to be as emotional as you. So if you're feeling very emotional about the decision, get the expert opinion. They're not emotionally invested. At the same time, they're not spending tens of thousands of dollars on this investment. So if you really feel a gut reaction, it's not the right move, move on. There's always going to be another house. Well... Thank you again, Brendan. That wraps up today's conversation, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Brendan, for coming onto the show. Of course, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to the listeners. I hope you all got at least some little tidbit or nugget. You know, just remember, like, you have the time. If you're sitting here taking the time to listen to this podcast, you can listen to other podcasts. You can listen to stuff specifically on real estate investing. You don't need to sit down and read a 500-page book in a couple weeks. But learn where you can invest your time wisely. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on to Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias. And as always, thank you audience for listening. I'd like to hear from you all as we continue with season three. What do you want to chat about? Who do you want me to bring onto the show? Feel free to reach out at caspielbias at gmail.com. Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias is a production of C Bias Productions LLC. For more episodes of Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias, visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.